from the Hill Country in Texas, broadcasting worldwide, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Easy for you to say, Patrick. Good morning. Boy, it's a beautiful day here in Dripping Springs, Texas. If you'd like to come and visit, uh, everybody else is, mostly from California. And uh, we're raising our property values here just to make them feel welcome. So we're... (laughs) Welcome to the great state of Texas. Boy, they're pouring in here, I tell you what. Well, it is the 5th of January, uh, 2022. Happy New Year to you. And we have a great uh, day for you. Melissa Sell will be here for No Stop Stitching on, uh, at 1 o'clock uh, Central Time. And uh, she is into her thing of uh, German um, um, healing knowledge. German healing knowledge. Really great stuff. And uh, so we'll join her on the Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, we, we talk to our good friend Fred Dashevsky of U.S. Coin Capital former partner of Andrew Goss. Still partner, but Andrew's in a different reality and we're still partnered up with him. I am down, I am, I was just telling Fred, I'm actually channeling Andy as I keep rewriting my screenplay. I can hear Andy in my in my head saying, oh no, no, try this. So he's helping out. And um, we do not have our 800 line this morning because it's just one of those uh, crazy, hazy things in the country in the world of telephones. So there, we're working on that. It happens uh, quite a bit. Fred is an uh, uh, interesting fellow. He's been studying the real world of money, and he and Andrew partnered up uh, with uh, a company called SDL. And after Andrew left us three years ago, that he's uh, he's got with him, uh, he's got his own company now. He's kind of uh, regrouped the whole thing. And here he is to my political left, Fred Dashevsky, how you doing, Freddie? What's going on there in, in the great state of South Carolina, right? South Carolina. Wait a minute. Oh, let me turn on your microphone. That would be good. One and, uh, good you know, from my point of view, I'm on your right. So. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> what do I know, man? You know, left, right, center is all the same these days. It's all pretty swampy, right? <laughs> well, Happy New Year. I don't know. Happy New Year. We've become so politically divided, it's tough to, tough to say. Oh, you, know, really you don't is. want to claim to be on one side or the other. Man, I tell you what, you're better off being a, what, I don't even know if they, uh, what would be a libertarian and love them both or something like that. Man, I tell you, it's crazy. Yeah. You guys pretty separated up there even in in Hilton Head? I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, division with left and righty. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, people are hardcore, you know, one way or the other. They're either complete Democrat, you know, and everything the Democrats do is wonderful and everything the Republicans do is horrible. Or Or they're completely on the Republican side and, you know, the pro-Trump people and uh, everything about Biden is horrible and everything the Democrats do is going to ruin the country. And there's no middle ground. You know, it's one or the other. People seem to be extremely divided. And, you know, I find that problematic, but I, I think this has all been... A rather large distraction that we've been fed, but you know we could talk about that for hours. Oh, you mean kind of distraction, distracting what's really going on? Well, sure. You know, I, I think this division has become kind of nonsensical. I don't think there's ever been a time in American history since the founding of the republic when any one party 
had all the right answers and anybody could honestly say that you know the other party was only making mistakes and everything they did was wrong and you know one party was going to save the country and move it forward and everything was going to be great and wonderful and uh and then the other party <laughs> if they were in power everything was going to be ruined and destroyed and the country would be going down the toilet yeah. you know that's never been the case um hmm. and until you know two generations ago we had uh, a real working relationship between both parties where there was an awful lot of crossing of the lines and you know democrats willing to work with republicans and vice versa and that you know slowly began to drift uh, you know i remember talking about that venn diagram where they had posted uh, how often the circles of democrat and republican overlapped in terms of times where in congress democrats would propose a bill that republicans would vote for hmm. And in the 1960s, you know, the overlap was about three quarters or four fifths of the circle. So, you know, in about four fifths of the cases, it appeared that nobody cared which party proposed a, a plan. If it was a good plan, they went for it. Yeah. And then by the 70s, you know, from 45 percent, it went to 35. And by the 80s, it was 25. And the 90s, it was 15. And by the 2000s, it's five. And now the two circles they barely touch you know and it's almost <laughs> a complete 100% division straight down the line if you know if a democrat proposes something no republican will vote for it and vice versa yeah. and i think that's nonsensical yeah it's pretty weird uh, this fellow what's his name uh, freddie manchin a democrat he it's, an, it's amazing that one fellow is holding up Threw this whole monkey wrench in the works, yeah i mean is it this whole build back better 3 trillion dollar deal he's holding up Yep. Um, and successfully, apparently. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, at least causing a pause there. And, you know, there's an instance of one case where one person has chosen to cross the party line and, you know, look at the uh, the backwash and look at the, you know, the amount of, of coverage it gets because it's so unusual these days for anybody to do that. I mean, I'm not saying whether he's right or wrong, but, you know, God forbid somebody on the opposing side of the political spectrum should disagree you know with their party it's it's oh my god how could they possibly do that but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know we used to work together i don't know what happened excuse me um well from a real money standpoint though and and your uh, teachings for us of the expansion of the money supply and the real cause of rising prices i mean you would i would think you'd be kind of in favor of not borrowing another three trillion dollars to do i don't know god knows what in this bill well, sure. You know, uh, I think the problem is, of course, we've been spending our way out of every problem. And I do have uh, taken a stand that I find that generally problematic, although there are times, you know, I've pointed to certain projects of the federal government over the history of America that have been, you know, very beneficial to the public, uh, smart plans that maybe if we spent money on infrastructure and created jobs, that wouldn't necessarily be bad. Right. Uh, the problem is, is we tend to finance these things by creating more debt. And the government's deficit spending is greater than the GDP now. And, you know, that's not slowing down anytime soon. And, you know, the fact that we're two generations away from having had sound money in America is beginning to become a big fundamental problem, so much so that we have a whole generation of people that may never have even been aware that we used to have sound money that prevented a lot of this stuff from happening. You're talking about uh, pre-71 when uh, the dollar was actually, you could exchange it for gold overseas but goes back to 33 technically right sure Amazing. you know and and even issuing sound money and through the 1960s you know i realize 1964 now is you know we're going on 50 years but still 
you know, the, the issue remains the same. We had a country that had a stable monetary policy for decades and centuries. And then, you know, we slowly drifted away from it. And now, you know, we experience these kinds of economies where because we don't have sound money, it's allowed for a lot of other things to happen that have become huge problems in and of itself and have forced the government's hand. I think the Federal Reserve, for example, has found itself backed into a corner, uh, unlike any time it has had in the past, because we've been financing the country on stimulus for almost two years now. Um, you know, you can even go back, if you want to say, since 2008, we've been playing this dangerous game. But it really accelerated two years ago when the pandemic broke. And now we face a real problem where the Federal Reserve has become a f major force within the U.S. economy uh, by stimulating economic activity for the last two years. And now they're forcing uh, the economy to revisit this concept because the printing of all that capital and the pushing of all that cheap money into the economy is now causing an inflationary problem, uh, which, again, I was certainly not surprised by, but apparently caught the Federal Reserve people by complete surprise last year. Hmm. So when you say stimulating the economy, uh, let's we always have new people joining us explain uh, to us what that means. So you have the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a private bank uh, owned by the banks, um, and they have the option to stimulate the economy. How do they do that? And is it uh, that's that has it been pretty steady? Have they slowed that down? And so dig into that a little bit and explain to people what you mean by that. Yeah, uh, to answer the second part first, they have started to slow down a little bit. Okay. But, you know, normally an economy moves on its own volition. So you have economic growth and the Federal Reserve basically would hide in the background and, you know, subtly adjust the interest rates that people would pay to borrow money. And that would be their mechanism for altering economic activity. So, you know, if the economy happens to be doing very well and, you know, businesses are growing and the economy is really soaring forward, that might cause a little bit of inflation problems like uh -huh. higher wage requirements and price increases. And the Fed would simply combat that by raising interest rates, uh, which they could do very easily through standard mechanisms. And this would slow the economy down because, again, it's a pretty simple, straightforward process that you're going to borrow a lot more money if the money is cheap and available to you at lower rates than you will if the rate is higher and it's going to cost you more. Yeah. So you may get cost out of a mortgage you know, if the rates are high enough to where the monthly payments are extraordinary, but if the rates get cheap and suddenly that house becomes more readily available to you because the monthly payments are cheaper, that's going to create a lot more activity in the real estate market. So the Fed has had this traditional method of economic stimulus, simply adjusting interest rates. Unfortunately, it ran into somewhat of a problem when after the fiscal crises of 2008 and moving forward to 2012, the Fed used up that option. It lowered rates and lowered rates and lowered rates continually because the economy was not responding enough to the lowering of rates. Eventually, the Fed got down to, you know, what we could argue was effectively zero and ran out of room. So it ran out of room and still didn't get the response. So it began to then take on new methods to continue to try to stimulate economic activity beyond the normal, which would just be adjusting interest. these interest rates. And the new... And that was the beginning of those asset purchases. New, new way. They can go in and buy mortgage-backed securities. It's kind of a synthetic thing that the banks dice and slice, right, and put mortgages in, kind of the whole mechanism in that great movie, The Big Short, and, you know, why things yes. you know fell apart, right, in 2008. The banks would actually 
uh, create. I remember back then Andy taught us the banks were creating these mortgage-backed securities that lo and behold, they were actually priced at more than what the mortgages were worth, right? So they would, Significantly more, Significantly sure. more, right? So they would buy, so they're still buying some of these, I believe, and then, and they're buying, what else are they buying, the Fed right now? Because I'm looking on the balance sheet, and it looks like there's treasury still- Treasury securities. You know, oh, treasuries. They, they last, last week alone, still, what, 149 billion? Is that possible? No. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, no, last you know, month. They've been adding to their balance sheet since the pandemic. They've added about $4.3 trillion wow. worth of these assets to the wow. Fed's balance sheet. So let me stop you there a second. The reason that's critical to people who buy things with dollars, when you when you buy 4 point, would you say trillion, right? $4.3 trillion. Trillion. They created these this four point three on a computer. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, not only did they create the money to buy these assets, but they then became an influence in the market by being such a huge player. So they became a new force in the economy. Instead of going to the public and letting the normal uh, purchasers of treasuries support the economy, right. the Fed became the supporter of the economy. Now, if the Fed is doing that you know, at a, at a slow, small percentage of the overall economy, it's not terrible, but when the Fed becomes the driving force and the most prevalent force in economic activity, they are the only source now that's driving economic activity. That is seriously problematic because at some point, how does the economy sustain itself if the Fed stops playing the game, which it is now being forced to do because it now has to face the reverse of trying to lower interest rates. It now needs to raise rates, which it can't successfully do until it ends this asset purchase plan. So, but if they would stop buying treasuries, Fred, um, uh, wouldn't the, uh, the money market boys and the pension funds and people, wouldn't they step up and buy these things? They don't have $4.3 trillion available to oh, make those yeah, kinds of that's volume true. purchases. Okay. Yeah, right? think about the, that. Yeah. the size that the Fed is doing here is way beyond anybody's individual capacity, any government's capacity, you know, any country's capacity. They're way beyond that level. They are, again, entirely driving an economic market by their own actions. And that is extremely dangerous to limit the market activity to one player. As big as the Fed is, they become way too influential. And now it's creating a big problem because as they have to address this issue, they're being forced to take pretty dramatic actions. And if they make a mistake in how they deal with it, they can cause the biggest single problem we may face economically going forward, which is to overdo the rate hikes too quickly and create a recessionary problem. If they choke the economy and it begins to slow down too quickly because they've raised rates, they can't lower rates fast enough or and have enough room to lower them to move it forward and we'll end up with what they used to call in the 1980s stagflation. And, and why do they have to raise rates? Well, inflation is beginning to rip through the economy at a rate no one's seen since the 1980s. Consumer price indexes by the end of last year were pushing almost 7%, three times what the Fed had expected at the beginning of last year. They thought they would be at 2.2 or 2.3%. They ended up the year at almost 7 or pushing more, depending on how you want to do the math. So all the inflation that's been created by the Fed's intervention into the economy is beginning to take hold. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Fed can intervene 
And when they become such a big player, it does come at a cost. And the cost is flooding the streets with cheap money to move an economy forward will create motion of capital for a short period of time, but it also results in higher prices. And then that forces people who are working to say, hey, I need to earn more money. I can't keep pace with the cost increases, which means wages have to go up, which means now businesses have to pay more out to their employees. So it becomes cyclical and we get an inflationary uh, problem that now pushes its way and becomes the prevalent problem in the economy, which is exactly where we are right now. Oh. And then I guess it, it, it then triggers into all kinds of other issues of people wanting to form unions like an Amazon or raise the minimum wage, all kinds of stuff, you know, just. Well, sure. Yeah. You know, the the end results of all this, you know, it's sort of like uh, if you have sniffles, you know, the sniffles are a symptom. You know, mm -hmm. they're not the problem. The problem is you have a cold or a virus or something. That's the problem you need to address. The, sim the symptoms, things like sniffles and your head cold and not feeling well, you know, these are things that start to pop up. So when you have wage problems to the point where an average person says, hey, I'm not able to make ends meet and they start putting pressure on their employers, yeah, that's going to translate into things like, you know, demand for unions or, you know, higher price increases. You know, and again, I think the problem is, is the Fed is now in a real difficult box. Hmm. It needs to raise rates to fight the inflation it's created. But if it overdoes that, it could cause the economy to stall. You know, like an airplane trying to go straight up in the air, you, you just can't do that. Yeah. At some point, the engine doesn't have enough power to keep driving it up. The higher you go, the more power it takes. And if it begins to stall, the thing begins to fall. Huh. Oh, I did, you just did a rhyme. I, how'd you do that? Uh, uh, Fred Deschewski of uh, The Real World of Money. And uh, Fred's got this great company. It's called U.S. Coin Capital. And he buys and sells gold coins for a living, all numismatic coins. And uh, not all collectibles. Uh, he has currency silver, uh, which is dimes, quarters, halves, and we'll talk about that. There's a lot of people out there on the interweb, YouTubes and stuff, talking about, boy, get some silver. So we're going to talk about that before we go. But uh, here's his number if you want to call him, 800-878-2646. But um, so uh, what's the difference, Fred, today w with uh, the 70s when gold what, it went all the way, I guess, from, what, $50 in the early 70s up to 850 If I had my calculator here, I could tell you what percentage that is. What's the difference sure. today during that period when Jimmy Carter was there and we had massive inflation? It was stagflation, right? Stagflation? It was stagflation, which, you know, again, just for those that are not yeah. familiar with that, that terminology, you know, there's a market where inflation is growing and growing and growing, but the economy is not. Huh. And okay. that's a big problem. Yeah. Okay, now again, if an economy is growing, let's say the economy is growing 10% a year. Okay. So that means that, you know, new growth in the economy, manufacturing is increasing and new products are being made and businesses are starting up. Well, you know, if the monetary expansion continues, but it's about the same as the economic growth, the end result to an average person is somewhat negligible. You know, you, you get an absorption of that inflation by the economic growth. Mm -hmm. But what happens if the economy is stalled at zero growth, but the money supply and, and, and money availability keeps growing? Well, what happens is, is you get an economy that stalls, and yet the money supply is still increasing. So you're getting a rapid rate of inflation increase without a subsequent growth in the economy. 
that is a dangerous combination, which is what the Fed is facing now. And potentially the Fed may plummet us like that airplane <laughs> into a recession if it does overdo the raising of interest rates to fight off the inflation it's created. I was, uh, <laughs> you know, humorously surprised by the Fed last the end of last year when they spent the entire year denying inflation existed right until the numbers were so clear and evident they couldn't <laughs> keep that up anymore so then they, they then switched and said well it's okay we, it's a- we do recognize there is inflation but we think it's going to go away on its own and that didn't work so then they said well you know we think that this problem can be resolved because we can raise rates quickly if we need to but nobody really thinks about the idea that raising rates is like slamming on the brakes in a car it is not a smooth transition it is a blunt instrument and if overused, can cause more trouble than uh, the benefit it's supposed to create. And I think we are in that position right now. Yeah. Well, but people see uh, meat going up, fish, uh, milk, uh, gas, uh, energy, uh, natural gas. You know, that's going to be a big comer in energy this year, we think. Um, but if you were getting to happen where it, it's becoming obvious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, well, in the 70s, let, let me ask this really so first. Yeah, yeah, let me ask this first. So when... We see this, though, Fred, if they start raising interest rates and they say, what, two or three times, maybe next year, half a point, quarter point, that doesn't really... This year, I think. Six? Wow. That doesn't... Is that going to... This year. The the prices of meat and gas is not going to go down. No. Uh, But again, by slowing the economy down enough, they can kind of curtail the rate at which these price increases happen, right? So they can kind of fight it off going forward. You know, again, if they can slow down how much you purchase then they can keep the price increases from becoming a bigger problem. You know, it's an interesting balance to try to slow an economy down enough to keep prices from increasing, right. but don't slow it down so much that you send it into a recession. And that is a very tightrope walking game that <laughs> is very easy to fall off the, you know, one side or the other. And now, you know, when you mentioned the 70s, yeah, you're talk about in that. the 70s, yeah. we had this right this massive monetary expansion and it occurred right after nixon had released the standard of gold and silver against the dollar so we did have a different cause at that point but the response at that time then was to raise interest rates and raise interest rates which didn't slow down the economy enough so they kept raising them and kept raising them and eventually your interest rates got up to you know 15 16 17 percent wow if you were borrowing money to buy a home in 1979 or 1980 you could have paid 17 or 18 percent interest on your money wow you know i talked to somebody yesterday who refinanced <laughs> this house at 2.1 percent Yeah, well, now right probably 15 years right. a 15 year yeah. yeah so imagine the difference between paying 18 percent versus two percent you know, on a $400,000 house, it's a massive difference on a monthly See? mortgage payment. See, yeah. And then at the same time, when it went to 15, is when gold topped out at 850 from the low of 50. It right? skyrocketed. Whoa. Well, you know, everybody in Europe dumped U.S. dollars because they had been stockpiling them through the 1960s and early 70s because they'd been promised that the U.S. dollars would be gold-backed or right. silver-backed. Right. And okay. then they were informed that, hey, from now on, we're not backing this dollar anymore. And people that were holding dollars said, well, if you're not going to back them with gold and or silver, you can have and you're just going to have a fiat, well, I'm out. <laughs> and they dumped their dollars they started buying foreign currencies Mm. and all these u.s dollars floated back into america at such a huge pace that it flooded the streets with money and that forced the fed to raise rates 
and that's when you know gold skyrocketed in response so that really was the uh, point of no return for the whole uh, inflationary period uh, of the 70s was nixon taking the dollar off the gold standard that was the oh yeah that was the th- kicker that was, I mean, the kicker. That was absolutely the kicker. wow um after mm. that since then what we've done to create more inflation has actually just been government deficit spending. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went from a relatively controlled government spending to where, you know, it was a small percentage of the overall GDP of the country. So it was uh, manageable, but it got past manageable. And then we started getting this doubling effect. So starting with, uh, I believe Ronald Reagan, it was the first one, he spent more money than every president had up to him combined in his term. Mm deficit spent that much and then that was followed by his predecessor and and it continued to every president up to now so we have continued this process every new president since reagan has spent more money than every previous president has and by doing so they're creating monstrously large amounts of inflation in the economy but it's spreading out over a period of time so that it's a little less obvious than it was you know, in such a short-term spurt like it was in the uh, yeah. in the 70s. So today, what are we deficit spending? Not we, but the, the government. Uh, uh, is 123% of GDP. So let's see, what is GDP about today? I uh, don't know what that number is exactly. Well, but we're deficit spending about $1.5 trillion a year. Is that correct? Close? I, th- I think it's a little bit more than that, it- but yeah. So the, the current GDP right now, according to the last numbers I saw, yeah. the government deficit spending is about 123% of the current GDP. One, so if the GDP is you know, 1.3 trillion, we're deficit spending 1.5 trillion. I see, okay. So that gets, that's weird. So, <laughs> so I it see. It is weird. It means that yeah. you know, we're spending so much money that every dollar the economy earns, and, and that's not all profit that we can use for whatever we want to use it for it's everything of the output of the economy combined we are deficit spending more than what we are producing as a whole that would be the equivalent of you taking your gross income for the year right adding about 23 percent to that figure and that's how much you're spending in the same year oh that doesn't work. so imagine if you were spending 123 percent of your income every year where yeah. would that put you in three yeah. years well five I, d- years? I just have a big credit card bills <laughs> right yeah 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 and how do you pay that you, you know don't. how do you pay that over the years you yeah. know right at some point you yeah. don't have money yeah right yeah. but now if i was the federal reserve and i stood behind you and i said don't worry patrick yeah. if you're spending more than you take in i will loan you money and you just pay me back whenever you can but in the meantime you know i'll own a little bit more of you and a little bit more of you but i'll loan you the money and you know we'll yeah. just continue this forever and ever until you know one of us falls off the planet <laughs> yeah fred dashevsky's here on the first monday of uh, each month we are live here on the 5th of january our phone lines are, are not working this morning but if you'd like to uh, ask him a question we have a couple here is uh, just email me patrick at one radio network.com so at the risk of throwing you a softball understand underhand because this is what you do for a living it's pretty I mean, this is what Andrew and you guys have been arguing for years, that good, solid, real money is a hedge against this, right? I mean, it just is. It is. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate we even have to look at anything like this. You know, we shouldn't have to fight 
um, the problem of a dollar within the United States being constantly manipulated. It, it was never intended that we were supposed to face that as an issue. We have bigger problems to deal with. And if Congress could curtail its spending or be controlled by some fixed limit, you know, we wouldn't have these problems. But unfortunately, Congress can't control itself and it continues to spend money it doesn't have. And we continue to have to print more to make up that balance, which continues to erode the value of the average person's wealth. So, you know, you're sitting on money in a checking account, but that money is buying less and less because it's being diluted by this additional printing of capital. And while the Federal Reserve is going to slow down its asset purchases, you know, this economic expansion and and spending of more money than we are bringing in is not slowing down. Hmm. So this is only one facet of the problem. You know, I remember, I think I mentioned this on the last show, um, in 1964, five silver quarters hmm. so a dollar 25 was the average hourly wage wow and that supported people a dollar 25 supported people now if you took those five silver quarters today and simply melted the silver in them mm-hmm. you get about 14 bucks worth of silver is that right in other words at <laughs> the hourly right? wage rate the purchasing power of five silver quarters has held up over 50 Isn't years. That it'll, cool. you know, it'll still sustain itself. Cool? So you could take five silver quarters, which is what, pre-65, melt those puppies Correct. and get about 14 bucks, and the same thing that you were paid in quarters in 1965. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yep. What does that tell us? Right. Well, it tells us that there's a various difference, and it is beginning to diverge between the value of the paper dollar and the value of the pre-65 coins. And that's because the pre-65 coins are legitimate sound money. They're not based upon, you know, the good faith and credit of a government. They're based on a sound principle that there's an intrinsic value in the metal that they're made of. And of course, now in 2022, uh, we have to recognize that we don't have any more of these quarters being produced. We haven't minted them even since 1964. So that supply of them being already fixed in time and can never be expanded allows for them to continually grow in value over the years, not only because the price of the metal they're made of is increasing, but because that (laughs) supply-demand characteristic is adding to their value a little bit each year as well. As these premiums continue to grow, those people who own silver coins are benefiting in both directions, both from the increasing price of the silver and then also the increasing uh, additional value they have as a fixed supply commodity. But but the silver price has been pretty punky. So if that thing ever goes up, the the pre sixty five quarters and halves, and they're going to be worth a lot more, right? I mean, yeah, quite a bit more. Quite a bit uh, more. Yeah. You know, we experienced a number of instances in the last year or two where supply and demand characteristics got very tight. And silver quarters and dimes and half dollars were almost unavailable for weeks at a time. Really? And the premiums exploded until that resolved itself. And it happened quickly. And in some cases, it settled a bit, but we're still significantly higher than where we were a year ago uh, and two years ago. And I think those premiums will continue to climb. And I think people should be stash piling away right now. Silver quarters, dimes, half dollars, American gold coins issued before 1933. Because I think the gap between what they are worth today in U.S. dollars and what they'll be worth in five years in U.S. dollars is going to get wider and wider because I think the U.S. dollar is going to perpetually become much more inflated as we experience the end result of how we have dealt with these economic problems the past couple of years. Right. So so the, the, the pre-65 quarters, uh, dimes, uh, halves, and uh, silver dollar, uh, 
Uh, well, silver dollar, well, you can tell me about silver dollars, but this is a nice way for people to get in with not a great deal of money, right? Without purchasing a, say, St. Gordon's 1929, which is a couple thousand bucks, right? Sure. You know, we have a roughly $1,000 minimum order, but, you know, you could buy silver quarters for $6.30 or coin or so. You know, they're affordable. And if somebody can't afford to work with us, they can certainly find uh, resources to pick up small quantities. But I think people should be stash piling this. You know, again, what concerns me is we have a whole generation of people who are growing up in America who've never lived when there was a sound money system in their country. Hmm. They've never experienced what it was like to have sound money. So, you know, they will become accustomed to the idea of their dollar losing value. But for those people that have, you know, been around long enough and remember what it was like when we used to have real money in America, they're going to start to recognize, if they haven't already, that difference between what paper money buys and what these pre-65 silver coins and pre-33 gold coins are doing. And I think people need to make sure that they diversify their wealth to include these physical, tangible assets and not rely on this paper money going forward because there's absolutely no way you can continue to print money at the pace we are without changing that value as well. Mm. You can't do one without the other. Yeah. So um, you mentioned in the gold coins, the collectibles, numismatic coins, pre-33, but don't you all have coins past 33 after uh, they, they called in all the gold that is still quite numismatically valuable stuff? Well, no gold coins were minted after 1933 oh. until uh, 1987. Ronald Reagan said it had been 50 years, and he thought that the U.S. government should go ahead and compete in the world market for gold coins. You know, the Canada had been producing the Maple Leaf, and uh, Australia had been producing gold coins, and there were various gold coins around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, the people were sort of forced to buy because there was no American alternative. So in 1986, Ronald Reagan began uh, a program called the American Eagles. And then in 1987 and 86 as well, uh, the U.S. Mint did produce a few small gold coins to commemorate things like the Statue of Liberty or 1987 was the anniversary of the U.S. Constitution and 1989 was the anniversary of Congress. And so they did produce a few gold coins in those days. But they were not minted with the intent that they would be used as money. So they were more of a commemorative coin in right, that sense. Right, right. The American Eagles were actually a bullion product, although they were given um, a sort of a tender status, this sort of nominal status uh, that they were assigned so that they did carry a face value like a silver eagle. It is a dollar and the American gold eagle is a $50 coin, but they're not legal currency in the same respect, and they're treated as bullion, uh, which I'm not a big fan of because of the federal regulations that have been imparted on that product line. Uh, I find them particularly annoying, so I prefer the pre-33 coins. But technically speaking, uh, in 1986, 87, 88, 89, 91, there were a handful of these modern, we refer to them coins. as modern gold coins that were produced. So what's the difference between the way the Gov, the one we love, and the IRS and everybody approaches um, bullion coins and numismatic coins like what you sell, the numismatic? Well, they are trying to control the markets for everything that people might do as an alternative to the dollar. 
So, you know, they try to prevent people from hoarding large amounts of cash by hmm. instituting the 1099 rule. You know, you can't withdraw or place $10,000 in a checking account without reporting that to the IRS. You can't conduct commerce in large quantities of cash without reporting to the IRS. They saw people going into the bullion world and they said, well, we don't know who bought gold in the past. So what we're going to do is regulate the sale by creating a new kind of uh, environment where we will refer to all these things that were not legal currency of the United States. So that would be all the Krugerrands and the Maple Leafs and the one ounce Eagles, all the bars and any round form of gold or silver that wasn't actually a coin minted by the government for currency. And we're going to call that bullion and we're going to regulate that market, which means if you are a seller of that product, you have to be prepared to give out private information to the dealer that is buying. You have to give him your social security number. You have to recognize he's filing a 1099B with IRS with your name, address, social security number, and what you sold. And you better make sure that that shows up on your IRS report as income because it's going to be reported by the dealer. Indeed. And they force the dealers to not only follow these rules, but they take it one step further and put us under these anti-money laundering rules. So they now are forcing me to say, if you are selling me bullion, that somehow I know that the money that you used to buy that product somehow came from a legitimate resource. And if it turns out it didn't, I'm subject to violations of the law uh, because I allowed for money laundering to occur through my business. Oh, good. So they're regulating the market terribly. Hmm. Now, the pre-65 silver coins and the pre-33 gold coins are not involved in those regulatory transaction reporting requirements, which just simply means you retain your financial privacy. And if you sell me a bunch of $20 St. Gaudens, I write you a check and, you know, that's where it ends. It's up to you to report whatever you gained or lost, but I'm not forced by federal law to provide all that private information to any government agency. No. Wow. So it's like, it's like you're a doctor operating without insurance. It's great. It's almost like you're... <laughs> yeah. Same kind of principle, right? Why a lot of docs, you know, people yeah. ask me why I don't want to sell them $100,000 worth of bullion. I'm like, well, you know, the problem is, is that as soon as I cross a $50,000 barrier, buying and or selling combined within a calendar year, everything I do at that point is regulated. And that now puts me under that auspices to follow all those anti-money laundering rules and all that federal nonsense. Yeah. Oh. I, I just don't want to deal with it as a company. I prefer the privacy of original gold coins. But I think the additional benefit to the original coins is the fact that there's a fixed supply of them. You know, think about the difference between owning a $20 gold coin that can never mint another one uh, versus, you know, an ounce of gold, which they can continue to make more of as long as they keep mining gold. So there's no difference between a round ounce of a square bar of gold made tomorrow versus one made 20 years ago. They're all exactly the same in value. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's an interesting email from Samantha. Uh, what does your guest think will happen if this fed coin thing comes to existence as i've been reading about how would how would it operate with the federal reserve note the dollar thanks for the show yeah um it's pretty much baked in the cake fred right they're going to do this i mean uh, the ecb is going to do it um, a lot of different countries are going to do it i don't know what it's going to look like how do you think this would operate uh with the dollar a fed coin well, I don't really think it changes a lot. No. Um, you know, if the Fed goes to, you know, let's say instead of 
writing checks to social security recipients or in the case of pandemic money where it was sending out checks to people literally by mailing checks you know having the treasury department you know issue a physical check dropping into the mail shows up in your mail you deposit the check in your checking account and subsequently you know like magic you have additional blips in your checking account right Uh, that suggests you now have more money you know moving to a fed coin simply solidifies the process they could increase the supply of your money in your checking account electronically and not have to go through the process of physically printing the dollar you know creating the check and sending it out Uh, you know what i think it does is two things i think it accelerates the rate at which they can create money but number two i think it takes away any privacy that we would have in money transactions because everything then would be visible directly but, to but the powers that be is the fed coin are you saying now maybe i i don't i'm misunderstanding this brad jashevsky yeah that the fed coin is simply going to be a dollar but it's just digital i mean the dollar is all digital now that are you saying the fed coin is only going to be different because of the way they can send it around I, I think in the really? end, that's really the only difference it's well, going to sure create. I don't really feels see it like it's going to be different than that to me, but I, I don't know. I just don't know that it's going to really effectively change anything. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think the thing that we're going to lose is transparency. Yeah. You know, and I think, again, we lose a lot of control. Uh, I think a lot of this is about control. It's about, you know, economic control. And we can get into the you know, the broad concepts of, you know, why have we allowed a central bank that's privately owned to do this to the U.S. dollar? You know, I think it's about deteriorating the wealth of the common person, you know, to keep them from standing up against what they don't want us to pay attention to and be aware of. And I think these concepts of digital coin uh, just simply perpetrate the same process and just move the technology forward a little bit. But in the end, I really don't think it changes a lot, except again, Uh, in hmm. transparency and in the rate at which money can be printed. Many people are arguing that it's going to be all through the phone and it's going to be tied into the vaccine passports and also get around to tie it into social credit scores if you've been misbehaving or not. And then want to work their way into universal basic income and they can just give you Flips through your phone, right? If they think you're a good person or take them away if they don't like you. I mean, that's what a lot of people are arguing. Now, that's a big difference, Fred. It is a big difference. And, you know, China is a good example of that. They're they're already applying this social engineering, right? (laughs) That's what they're doing. So, you know, they're already applying this sort of, uh, I I forget what the terminology they're using, but they apply this sort of- Social credit score. You know, personal social score to you, right? And they say, okay, Patrick, you're a good person. You're not- you know, publicly stating anything against the Chinese government. And, you know, therefore, you know, we give you a higher score than if you were actually vocal um, about issues against the government. And and if you are vocal against issues of the government, well, then we may lower your score. That might make it what more expensive for you to borrow money or, you know, again, theoretically, even prevent you from making purchases, stop you from buying property, um, you know, causing all sorts of, of right. economic problems by a method of control. I, I, you know, I think that is excessively dangerous. <laughs> you, think? you know, money should <laughs> never be used to control a populace. You think? Whoa, yeah. yeah. Yeah, indeed. Here's another great question. You know, Andy mentioned this, and I haven't talked about it a bit. It's a little bit in it's on our screenplay. But uh, from Morney, 
That's a great name, Morney, Moray, or something like that. Uh, does Fred ever think uh, that Andy talked about long ago? I sure miss him. <laughs> yeah, so do we. Um, uh, means testing for Social Security, where they'll get to the point, uh, I'm just explaining what mean test, means testing is, to say, sure. well, Fred, you know, you're doing fine. You get on Social Security, but you don't really need it. And, you know, the whole thing is kind of busted anyway. Do you think they're going to ever do that? Well, uh, I, I would say there's a good chance that they may have to because they have to address the problem of this gap between what they're telling us and what is, yeah. <laughs> you know, the difference between reality and the illusion, right? So right. the illusion is there's money in the social security fund. And as you age and get to that uh, level of, of age that you're supposed to now get your social security payments that you have diligently contributed to your entire life, not by choice, by the way, you know, you didn't ask for that money to <laughs> be snatched from your checking <laughs> account every choice. week. I'm glad you threw that part right. in there. Yeah, it's been a forced coercion from the beginning, hasn't it? It's a tax. With the promise, with the promise that in the end, the rationale was, yes, we recognize we're stealing your money today, right. but you're going to get it back later on. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is the fund that was supposed to hold those dollars has been depleted because the government chose at some point because of this ridiculous overspending problem to tap into that as a resource when it became desperate. Right. I see this going forward in the sense that if they become progressively more desperate, they may not be able to fulfill their obligation and may be forced to look at options to deal with that. Now, you know, every political party recognizes Social Security is what they call the third rail of politics. Don't step on it. It will kill you. <laughs> Do not tell people they're not going to get their Social Security yeah, payments. Dead, right? yeah. If you tell them that your platform includes addressing government spending by curtailing the payment out of Social Security recipients, you're not going to get elected, right? <laughs> so if they, if they refuse to deal with the problem on its outset from yeah. that point of view, they're beginning to have fewer and fewer options. And at some point, you know, it may become absolutely necessary. They may not even have a choice. They may have to recognize, just like where the Fed denied that there was inflation all last year and then finally had to give that up because mm. reality sort of forced their hand. What happens if the public realizes that the Social Security Fund is bankrupt? Yeah. What happens if everybody turns around and says, hey, we don't believe you have the money? Yeah. So, so I think, I, you know, I used in, to know so the number, I think... I think the the government is chipping in about I don't know 130 or so billion right now just to cover social security payments. I believe that's close. I'll have to check that. That sounds about right. Yeah, about you know, there's no money in the fund. No, no, there's no money in the fund. So uh, Non-marketable securities, right? Every print, every check that goes out has to be created because well, it doesn't exist. Why couldn't they just continue just to borrow more money from the Fed to cover the social security and they wouldn't have to raise the rates or raise the taxes? As long as well, then they first have to admit that they lied. <laughs> well, They'd have true. to admit that the fund was broke. That's true. They'd have to admit that for the past 20 years that they've been lying to the public about the fact that the Social Security Fund was fully funded. They're not going to do that. And yeah. once they messed up to that, <laughs> then they could turn around if they don't create a panic, because that's the last thing they want to do, right. uh, and then address the problem. And I think that's it. You know, mm. wow. It's like these problems the Fed is facing with raising rates. You don't want to create a panic by your actions. And, and the problem is, is because we have been mismanaging our economy for so long, 
these problems are massive now. They're not minor. They're massive. They're enough to, to completely destroy the economy if they're mishandled. So the Fed has got to be very careful. And I think the government faces the same problem. You know, the last thing they want to do is tell the public, um, yeah, remember that Social Security trust fund that we promised was intact? Nah, not and so that much. The funds were there, and that, you know, we guaranteed that you get your checks at the end of your lifespan. Right. Well, guess what? We don't have the money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the last thing they want to do, right? That's you know, that's that's yes. the last that's the last thing they want to. Well, this is a real kabuki theater. I mean, but are you you know are you talking? Is this really big deal right now, or is this unprecedented with what's going on, Fred? Uh, with, with the well, imbalances, what's unprecedented is the rate, the rate, the rate at which things are happening now. Yeah, like I said, if this were you know a minor part of the overall economy, if the Fed was a minor player, right. and this was happening behind the scenes at you know some controllable level. It wouldn't be a big thing, but the money supply has expanded. You know, thirteen percent year over year the past two years. It's up over thirty six percent since twenty twenty, and that is a monstrously large increase in supply of money being printed against an economy that has only grown. You know, three four percent. So we're not absorbing this massive amount of money, and because of the size of the problem, it is a big issue because it is deteriorating the wealth of the public at a much more rapid pace than ever before. And public around the United States is waking up to this because of the sniffles. You know, in other words, they don't recognize yet they have a cold, but they're starting to see the symptoms. Price increases are a symptom of an underlying fundamental problem, which is that the money is being deteriorated and it's forcing other things like a cascading state of events, dominoes knocking each other down, uh, and that's becoming clearer. So it is a big problem. And it's a bigger problem than it has been in the past because of the size of the volume of which we've created money to solve these most recent economic problems. And let me say, what happens going forward if there's another economic problem that comes out? How would we sustain any kind of real economic issue when we're barely able to manage what we've already created as a problem in the past and we're still addressing those? Yeah. I, I worry a lot about that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't understand this. So I just pulled up the U.S. debt clock. This thing has been at $29 trillion for a year. They're, not, they're cooking the books on this. They're not putting all this money we're borrowing on this debt clock. No, I think it'll be a lagging thing. You know, it'll catch up in time. But, sure. you know, I, I don't think that number includes everything that you and I have discussed. You know, yeah. we, we don't even have to get into the offline budget item variables that account for probably 100% or 200% more uh, of debt that's out there that we're not even really paying attention to because it's not due today, you know, which is sort of a nonsensical oh, way see. of viewing this things. debt clock is a certain parameter of what they got to pay out every day or what they're counting what they're what they're yeah. counting right i see so that's why the four trillion that's been created and borrowed this last year or two years it's not on there is that right no because it's been hidden you know on the balance sheet of the federal reserve so 
you know, we've slid the, you know, the, the shell with the pee in it, you know, we've sort of, you know, we've moved it over. So you picked up the shell and oh, no pee, oh, no I guess pee. everything's okay. You know, it, it's somewhere else. So uh, until they pick up the right shell and take and find I it, see, yeah. uh, they don't see it. You know, I, it doesn't exist. I'm looking at the Fed's balance sheet. Money game they used to play in Manhattan. Yeah. Where they put the queen and find the queen. You know, where's the queen? Up, oh, no, oh, you got oh, the wrong got card. That's, nope, nothing there. That's why they call nothing it a shell game. Here. I'm looking at the Fed's balance yeah. sheet right now. Eight point seven trillion. Yep. Mo- moving right up, baby. Pushing nine trillion dollars. Unbelievable. Have you ever seen anything? There has never been like this, right? Never. No, no. no there's never been a Fed balance sheet this large, and you know it, it's a problem because the Fed again is now such a big player in the economy they're not supposed to be such a driving force you know when the fed itself is responsible for so much of the movement of 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 money in an economy uh we become very reliant on them to do everything right and the fed has a horrible track record of waiting too long they should have stopped their asset purchases last year they haven't done that yet they should have started raising uh raising rates last year they haven't done that yet. They're talking about March is the first time they'll do it this year. And, you know, accelerating the rate at which they raise rates. But I think the Fed is way behind the curve. And that's going to force them to be more dramatic. And, and and the impact of their actions will be felt a lot greater in the economy. And again, my big fear is if they overdo it. And by trying to slow the inflation they've created down, if they overstep, and force the economy to not only just slow down, but maybe slide into a recession, they have no way of addressing that as a problem. So let's, rates let, are yeah, already let's, down to zero. Let's unpack that a little bit. That would be raising interest rates too quickly or too much, which would just kind of just slog the whole thing Stall up. the economy. Stall the economy. Yeah. And then what you're saying, if that happens and we're in a recession and interest rates are higher and people maybe don't buy as many homes and the whole thing, then they've got nowhere to go, you're saying? Yeah, because they don't have enough room to drop rates enough to move the economy forward. You need you need a little bit more than a couple of quarter point rate drops to get an economy to stimulate it, um, to stimulate an economy. So if the rates are effectively at zero, All right. which and they, they are raise today. rates a couple of quarter, you know, yeah, which yeah. is about where we are. Yeah. You know, the Fed fund rate, I, I had thought it would be about 1.8% by the end of the year. It was about one7 so I was off by about a tenth. Um, there's just not a lot of room to drop those rates, which is what you normally do when an economy stalls. You know, if we had rates at 8% and the economy began to drift and stall, well, you could drop rates a full point, two points, three points if you had to. And that would make a dramatic difference on the borrowing cost of money. But when you're down at about zero, you know, when a, when a two-year note and a five-year note are paying about one percent is that all they pay you just don't have a lot of room to to go down i'm kind of losing you a second so but i'm i'm thinking say when you say raise the rates fred you're talking about the federal funds rate where the banks what they get borrow from one another right in the fed it's about 1.7 or whatever now if they start raising that doesn't that give them room then to drop it back again if they stall i'm kind of confused no, you got it right. Okay. Except the problem is, is it takes more than a couple of quarter point drops to move an economy forward. I see. You might be able to slow it down a little bit by raising rates at all because there's this perception. 
that the Fed is on top of the problem. And it's more about that than the reality in, in a lot of ways. It's about, you know, do you feel as if the Fed has good control and they're addressing the problem and they're managing it properly? Even if you don't believe that it's going well, if you're confident that the Fed is on top of it, you'll be okay. But if you lose faith in the Fed, uh, it becomes a big problem. And unfortunately, you need more than a couple of small quarter point rate drops to kickstart the entire economy. So they don't have enough room if it does stall to drop rates enough to make any significant change. John is in Seattle and he's not sleepless, but he wants to know why gold and silver prices aren't going much higher. I, he said, I look at them every day because I have some gold and silver. They don't seem to be going anywhere. Thanks for the show. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been kind of hanging out all year at this this price, right? What's up? With yeah, that? yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, we're 18 and a quarter or yeah. so today for gold and maybe 23 and change on silver. You know, it is creeping up, but it hasn't really responded dramatically. Uh, again, there's an awful lot of intervention in the bullion world to try to keep those prices subdued because they are a reflection of the overall state of the dollar. And, you know, again, we're playing a confidence game. Hmm. You know, I will stand by that, that a lot of the thought process that go into the stability of the economy is mental more than economic. Yes. You know, it's a lot of confidence. thought process involved in how confident are you? If you're feeling confident and there's that consumer, you know, confidence index that they look at, then everything is okay. And it'll curtail the need to run into the gold markets and silver markets as a safe haven. And again, the game has become very complicated and quite sophisticated. And there's an awful lot to unpack and how they keep the prices for gold and silver subdued. But it is a signal that there's an economic problem. Remember, it was only a few years ago that gold was trading at around 1,200 an ounce, and we were stuck in the trading range there, too, for a while. Yeah. You know, people ask the same question. Well, now we're in that 1850 range or 18 and a quarter range, and we're seeing the same thing. And I think a few years from now, it'll be $2,100 range, and it'll just be the same thing. It'll be seemingly stagnant without an awful lot of movement. But let me tell you something. If gold goes up dramatically, it is pretty much an end game response. You know, it's not a head of the curve response. That's a Mad it Max, res that's a bad Max response, right? Something really not yeah. good. Yeah, not good. Not good. So that means that they've lost control over trying to curtail, uh, you know, this economic environment. And it has responded in the people saying, I'm losing faith in the dollar, so I'm moving into gold. And they're doing everything they can to keep people believing that they've got control over the economy. This is the reason why the Fed holds public press conferences. It, it talks about... You know, it's future idea confidence. of what it wants confidence, to do. Right. Yeah. yeah, tries to build confidence and that they know what they're doing. Uh, again, I'm going to argue that the Fed has lost control of the economy already. They don't know what they're doing. They have no plan for how to address the problems that they've created. And their only options to deal with these problems are blunt instruments that will probably cause more trouble uh, than any gain that they could possibly ensue. So, by the time gold really begins to respond, kind of like in the 1970s, by the time gold went to 800, you kind of missed the point. You know, the inflation started in the early 70s. By the time it ended up responding to higher prices of gold, you know, the problem had already existed. It already inflated the dollar. That's why gold prices went up. So we should almost be happy that gold and silver prices remain a little bit, you know, on the lower end of their trading ranges 
because again by the time gold starts to respond it, it really means that we're losing control of the economy and um the, you know it's coming closer to the top end rather than where we are now hmm. uh, we're talking with fred jashevsky he is the uh the head guy there at uh, u.s coin capital they have a nice little team and they'll work with you if you'd like to give them a call 800-878-2646 all of his people are well trained and they've been with the company and they know what they're doing and you can talk to them and you guys take time to talk to people about stuff right no no problem absolutely you know i've, I've been a big fan of education since we started uh i i always thought that the best thing that we could do was to make the public aware of the true nature of how money works which is why you know the program was called the world of money and the secret world of money yeah. because it was something that was behind the scenes a lot of people did not really have information about and again as i talk to a lot of younger people and when i say younger you know even in their 40s and, and younger we are talking with a lot of people that never have lived in a time where america had sound money as part of its national currency so we have to educate an entire new generation about why we had sound money in the first place what the rationale for owning it today would be what the problem with not owning it is and the fundamental issue with having fiat currency so uh, we do spend a lot of time helping people get to that point where they have an understanding yeah. and that i think is important because even if they choose not to work with us or buy gold or silver coins i think if the public is at least aware of the way the markets really work they can make better and informed decisions as opposed to uh, otherwise they're they're running blind i mean if they happen to make money in something it's almost by by luck rather than design yeah yeah well that's good it's great that you're able to do that and still make a living i mean most places don't do that right they just want to sell you stuff because that's their model but you guys have never been like that for 30 years right you know when when you guys were yeah. together with andy you were always you know i guess that, that was something you and andy just kind of uh kind of came up with you know I, I i was wondering i've been wanting to ask you there's about a trillion dollars just in bitcoin in bitcoin where do you think that money would be if old cryptos weren't even around i mean it would probably be in the stock market or gold maybe i don't know i think a lot of it would be in gold yeah. um you know they talk about this a lot whether you know the cryptos are competing with gold per se and and to some degree that may be somewhat true that true, some of the right? money that would have gone into yeah. you know gold people are experimenting you know with these cryptos and again what's interesting is that what are they really trying to do besides of course make money you right. know and beyond the idea that we're dealing with a, a greater fool's theory there where you're buying it today with the hope that someone will pay more in the future without any fundamental value there i think the thought process goes to why are people looking at any alternative to the dollar because they're worried that the dollar can't sustain itself so they begin to you know look at things like cryptocurrencies as an option and i think it's interesting that people even have to consider an option to their nation's yeah. currency well. why are we bothering even <laughs> looking at alternatives if there was nothing wrong with the dollar there'd be no rationale to even consider cryptocurrencies yeah. i mean yeah. why do why do foreign banks or or central banks buy other countries currencies it's because there's a problem with their currency. Look at what's happening in Turkey. Turkey is I know, experiencing Ooh, man. 38% inflation, right? Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine 38% 38 inflation in America? I don't, yeah. I don't 
think anybody could address that issue. But this is the end result of what happens when, you know, you continue to play these dangerous economic games. And when people see this stuff around the world and they watch these foreign countries implode and, you know, they watch countries like Argentina and Brazil experience massive inflation and constantly trying to refinance their debt with the world because they're so far upside down and countries like Turkey going through this. Remember a few years ago, Greece, it was so bad. There were literally riots on the streets, millions of people pouring into the streets of Athens pushing back against the fact that, you know, the value of their money that they're working for is being deteriorated by government that wasn't controlling it well. You know, so I, I think it's interesting that people even are looking at dollar alternatives. Why would we b- bother doing that if there was a s- relative strength or stability in the yeah. dollar? I think it just goes and speaks to the problem. Necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, boy, yeah, and there's more countries actually looking at uh, doing the same thing. What was it? Uh, which country down there made Bitcoin uh, its national currency thing? San, one of those countries down there. So I'm seeing here a headline. Fauci now says fully vaccinated now includes up-to-date boosters. So no, they're not letting go of this whole vaccination thing. Boy, they want to get people vaxxed up. And uh, this is going to be a big cultural and I think financial stuff too going on with, you know, who knows uh, how many people won't go to restaurants without, you know, because they want to be fully vaccinated. I mean, it's, it's a big deal in some cities. Yeah. It is a big problem. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that a couple of years ago we couldn't have expected. That's right. You know, we had enough economic problems coming into 2018 <laughs> that, you know, who saw this coming, right? Right, yeah. And this is what really worries me is that we're not stable enough to sustain anything that happens going forward here. Right. If there's any other economic disaster, like, a, you know, an Evergrande in China, you know, where yeah. their real estate industry there. Uh, is experiencing massive problems. We we couldn't sustain something like that here in the United States. So, uh, you know, we have to hope and pray that along with addressing the monstrous size of the government debt and the deficit spending that we continue to you know, to deal with and the printing of money by the Federal Reserve and their actions and their, you know, <laughs> addressing uh, inactions and actions and maybe overdoing it or not and watching this tightrope walking uh, effort by the Fed and hoping they don't slip and fall and all of that. Uh, we just have to hope that nothing else happens going forward because, you know, we're, we're pretty much pushing pushing the envelope pretty hard. Well, the way it's going, every you know, something new is happening every day with this, you know, wanting to, you know, this whole, you know, virus thing and vaccines and tests sure. and crazy, you know, airlines and there was a big Supreme Court decision should be out, I think, in a week or so that they're going to decide whether the uh, Biden mandates are are relevant for businesses, you know, over with over 100 people. Um, uh, so that, that'll be a, a, a curious thing. Well, just when you thought it was safe to go into the water, baby, it's all... <laughs> It, it's it, it's always something, dump, isn't? Dump, dump, yeah, dump, man, dump. we got uh, we got our work cut out for us in in this country for sure. Well, kiddo, thanks for being on the show. It's always fun having you. Uh, you can call Fred. Let me put up his little uh, little sign here: eight hundred eight seven eight two six four six. You guys, Monday through Friday, right? What kind of times? Kind of. We are. Yeah, we try to take the weekends. Although yeah, we can be reached on the weekends, but generally speaking, our regular office hours where we're available at least to speak with people. Uh, Eastern time, 10 to 5, Monday through Friday, are our available office hours. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, Happy New Year. Say hi to your staff and uh, let us know if we, you need anything you, like, like coffee, ammo, sugar, whatever. Just let us know. <laughs> We're good. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a, a couple Supreme Court decisions I hear on the Second Amendment thing, too. Big, big time coming out this in the next few months. So it's going to be a busy year for the Supreme Court, and we're just going to see uh, how swampy or not they are. Let's, uh, you know, cross our fingers that they're not too swampy. All right, kiddo, thank you. We love you. Thanks for being here. Appreciate My pleasure, Patrick. Love you. Good to see you, and best of health for everybody in 2022. I hope it's a healthy and successful year for everybody. boy. There you go. Thanks, Fred. Bye-bye. Take care. Fred Jashevsky, The Real World of Money. Uh, is uh, the name of the show that we do on the uh, first Monday of each month. And then Fred, uh, you know, has his company, and you can talk to him. And it's cool, cool stuff. Let me turn off his microphone here. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Um, some of the challenges that we're going to be faced with this year, and uh, financially, Fred's actually a whole lot softer on it than I am. I mean, I'm... A, I'm more, much more bullish on just getting some gold and silver and putting in your underwear drawer than even Fred is, if that's possible. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know it's a fascinating time to be around, isn't it? Yep, uh, that's an interesting uh, headline I just read, and this is gonna it's a big deal. Fauci says fully vaccinated now includes up-to-date boosters. So that means, you know, if they think you need three or four boosters and you got one vax and you think you're going to be able to fly or do this with one vax, not going to happen. Uh, They'll be fully vaccinated. So this is their sneaky way of getting people to get more of these booster things. Uh, That's how they do it. They know exactly what they're doing, in my opinion. That's how they're doing it. And they're not going to stop, so. You know, be that as it may, you it's your choice whether would you want to have somebody stick something in your arm or not that we know is very dangerous. So I will see you in about an uh, uh, hour and 45 minutes with Melissa Sell about German healing knowledge. Really great stuff. Uh, if you want to learn about how this whole uh, disease is created, uh, uh, what pain is, how, how, to, how to rid your body of these diseases, come around uh, in about uh, 1 o'clock Central Time, right here, OneRadioNetwork.com. I'll see you in a, a little bit. Take care of yourself. Stay out of trouble now in a few hours, because, you know, I just... From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.